Okay, here it is, November 23rd, and I'm speaking with Ellen Zwilich in New York City by telephone. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Victoria. How are you? Just fine. Uh, let me tell you what this project is. I'm writing an article called Towards Creating a Composer-Friendly Environment. And basically, um, I would just like to get your thoughts on what your vision of an environment that was as conducive and creative as it could be. Now, you've had extraordinary opportunities and a sense of the totality of what can happen in um, major institutions, but I'm sure you've also seen how things could be improved, and I just wanted to sort of talk about that. Um, well, I tell you, it seems to me that the notion of creating an environment is something that I've been thinking about for a very long time mm. uh, for myself, you know, in, in the absence of a thing called profession, colon, composer, mm -hmm. um, we, in a sense, have to invent it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are a number of things that, that are essential, and I don't know whether I could pick out which is the most essential or something, but I, I could certainly share some of those Great, ideas. that's wonderful. I think one of the most important things is the notion of being a member of the musical community, of knowing musicians. Mm-hmm of knowing how music is made and what goes into rehearsals and performance. And I think this is, this is a two-way street. I think any composer ought to have some very serious hands-on experience with making performance. Mm -hmm. Now, you yourself are, are uh, a musician, a performing musician as well. Uh, yes, I was. Mm -hmm. And I think of that as just a part of an apprenticeship as a composer. Mm -hmm. Because there are, particularly if you want to write for you know, ensembles. If, you, if you're doing electronic music, there's a whole different world of experience. But if you're writing, let's say, for symphony orchestra, you can't learn about that by going to the library or mm -hmm. by listening to recordings uh, or even by studying scores and listening to recordings. Mm -hmm. you, must, you must have a deeper understanding. And I think it's important to have the performing experience. Could you go into perhaps a couple of items as to what, what that deeper understanding and the experience of being in an ensemble constitutes? Well, I just think there's so many things to know that it's a life's work growing in your knowledge of what happens when you, when you do make music, mm -hmm. learning about different kinds of instruments and how they fit together, how they balance and how they, what, what their weights are. There's a great deal that you can't discover, for instance, by using a synthesizer. Mm-hmm about the orchestra, because the orchestra is, is different. And I do think that just a knowledge of what the musician's role is, what their life is like, I think is very helpful, whether you want to be a kind of continuation of a tradition or whether you want to be the antithesis of that tradition. Mm -hmm. I think you ought to know it, and I don't think there's any other way other than sort of being in a position of putting things together yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is from the composer's side, and right. for the composer to help create this composer-friendly environment. Right, right. From the other side, I have found performers to be extremely generous to an inquisitive composer. They'll tell you everything that they, they can articulate about their instrument, their problems, their repertoire, and so on. And I think that's a very, very important factor, mm -hmm. to have a kind of milieu that includes performers Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Who can deepen your understanding mm -hmm. of what it is they do. Another thing that I think is very important is, is that I think that the whole notion of a composer's work being paid for 
is a very significant notion. I mean, it goes beyond providing us with the time to do it. It has to do with this kind of psychic community, you might say. Hmm, a psychic community. Hmm. Where you're not just a trivial part of things, ah. where after you finish your ordinary duties, then you, then you can turn your ordinary duties to support yourself, mm-hmm. then you can turn to... Composing. Right, there's a kind of a legitimacy about getting paid for something. I definitely, and and I think it's a, it's very important, and I applaud wholeheartedly all, all the people that have been working in the last twenty years to see that come about. Now, what about the audience? I mean, do they do they understand the importance? How how can one bring them in to your into your world, into your creative world? I find them much more willing then, you know, sometimes they get a pretty bad press. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think if, if a performer is doing new music that they are doing because they believe in it and because it means something to them, that it's the most natural thing in the world to turn to an audience and say, this means so much to me, I want to share it with you. Mm-hmm. And I think there are lots of things that suggest themselves if you have that attitude rather than, you know, how can we work it in, um, how can we keep from offending them? I mean, mm-hmm. in a sense, it's a positive approach rather than a negative approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there are lots of things that suggest themselves. And there's, you know, other than 20th century music, there's, I'm sure there's a repertoire where, you know, you would like to program um, a much earlier Mozart symphony than the, the last few, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Haydn instead of Mozart, or um, a late Beethoven string quartet rather than um, a middle one. There, there are lots of things that performers want to share with an audience that they feel might need some special preparation in some way. Mm-hmm. But the, the critical thing is that you have to want to share it with the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you do, there are certain things that might suggest themselves. I'm not averse to the idea, for instance, of let's say you wanted to, to do a, a long and thorny late Beethoven quartet. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's such a bad idea to plan a, a program in such a way that um, maybe the rest of the program is easier on the audience. Mm-hmm. Well, this, is, of course, comes up uh, with connect- in connection with uh, contemporary music all the time, that in order to uh, give people something new and different, it's necessary to um, appease them with that which would, with which they're familiar, give them uh, an anchor, something to, you know, that they feel they're on terra firma with. Well, I, I don't object to that idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a little hard for a musician to understand that people are so intimidated by something new, but I, I don't object to, to any solution as long as it's a, it's a legitimate belief of the person that's doing the, is mm-hmm. planning the program. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's been not enough made of the notion that, let's say, if you hear 200 premieres, maybe 192 of them are forgettable but maybe there are eight that are memorable and maybe there's one that that you would tell your grandchildren i was there when Mm -hmm. they did the first performance of such and such Mm -hmm. and there's a sense of adventure about that that i think has not been completely grasped by the audience that's right because how many times i've heard people say well we just don't want to bother we have to listen to so much um that's not important someone else should do the screening not us you know I've heard that both from audiences, from players, and, and even from some critics, which yeah. I find, you know, kind of uh, counter to a creative, adventurous approach. Yeah, I do too. 
Yeah, well, in continuing on this um, uh, creative environment of yours, so you've talked then about the musicians uh, being, uh, the composer being part of a musical community, being able to participate and understanding the orchestra, um, having a relationship with uh, 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 the instrumentalists so that there's a give and take. Um, do you want to continue along these well, lines? Very fascinating. I think that um, something that um, has been very, very interesting to me to see is the development of the Meet the Composer program. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating to um, interact with audiences. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's, it's very interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, I do think that, you know, you can live in a very insulated world as, a, as an artist in any field, you know, where you only know people who sort of know the scene. Mm -hmm. And I think it's necessary to be a part of the real world also. Uh, at least it is for me. R real world meaning? Well, not just an artificially limited group of people who mm -hmm. know the same things that you know. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. And I think it's very important for us to meet the audiences out there, the people that buy the tickets and mm -hmm. support the uh, music, whatever it is, and to get out of an insular environment. What, what kind of audience members have you met, uh, have confronted you, who may have not been at all familiar with new music? Do you remember any um, meetings or remarks? Oh, yes, many. Mm. I, I think, as a matter of fact, it's, it's very interesting, because one of the things we have to gain in dealing with audiences is that when we get together, we tend to talk about techniques and things of this sort. The lay audience very frequently asks important aesthetic questions. Mm. Um, they're interested in aesthetic issues and very fundamental artistic matters. And mm. I think that's very interesting, and it's very important for us to keep that line open because it's important for the person who's creating something to know that there's at least a small audience out there. We're mm -hmm. not talking a mass audience, mm -hmm. but that there's a... There's a very concerned and, and aware audience that is there if we can connect. Mm, what sort of basic aesthetic questions do they ask? Well, they ask all kinds of things that, that I remember somebody asked me once, why isn't it possible for somebody in the 20th century to write something happy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, this sounds like an elementary question. It's one that, you know, musicians would chuckle over. Mm -hmm. uh, but I found myself thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And really, there's something wrong if we cannot express the whole range of human Yes, humanity. yes. Mm -hmm. And that simple question by someone who, you know, is not a member of the musical profession mm -hmm. um, is something I thought about for a long time. What were some of the things you came up with? Well, I do think it's a, I do think it's a very profound, a simple and profound question, mm -hmm. that the 20th century, we've got to find, we've got to get richer and richer in our palate mm -hmm. and in the ability to express things. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, there are certain, there are certain problems with this attitude also, because it's not just, you know, there, there are kind of formula things that suggest, let's say, happy, mm -hmm. happiness. Major scales. Right, <laughs> that, that are kind of, um, they're Pavlovian kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. For instance, there are people that don't hear tragedy in Mozart mm -hmm. because it, it's, it sounds so tonal and um, clear. 
and you know there is a sense of rightness about it they don't hear the the depth of the tragedy because the language is so agreeable yes uh, and sometimes people don't hear the range of expression in contemporary music because the language is perhaps less agreeable mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying i found a simple answer to this but That's i just think these are the audiences are very often good at raising kinds of questions that have no simple. <laughs> yes, yes, it is very fascinating. Yeah, you know, particularly thinking of our harmonic language as being so much denser than what is, as you say, Pavlovianly associated with lightness and happiness and, and cheerful attitude. Also, another aesthetic question may be, we don't live in a, in a time that particularly celebrates happiness. <laughs> Witness the newspapers <laughs> daily and the news, but that, that is most interesting. Any any other points on, on that matter? It's fascinating. Well, there are a lot of questions that people ask, and sometimes they're really extremely interesting questions about form or how music evolves. Mm-hmm. And I remember once one of the first things I had done under this Meet the Composer program where you go out and talk to an audience before a concert was a very well-attended concert and a little thing before, you know, a Meet the Composer thing before the concert at the National Academy of Science in Washington. Mm-hmm. And it was a, I guess a lot of the people that came to the discussion in advance were members of the Academy. Mm-hmm. And one particular gentleman, I will never forget him, asked a very long two or three part question that was, that was so interesting. It was about, you know, um, form and music and, and continuity and all kinds. It was a very, very interesting question. And when he got to the end of this, he said, I'm sorry I've asked so much, but he said, I've never met a composer before. Wow. Huh. And I was, at that moment, if I had ever had the slightest doubt about the importance of the Meet the Composer program, mm-hmm. it vanished at that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they like to see us and see that, you know, like we're not, I mean, sometimes even people say in the other arts or something, they think a composer is something, you know, just totally forbidding. And there's something bizarre about it in a way. I mean, <laughs> the people's pictures of a composer might be, I mean, at best sort of, you know, like um, Mozart is punk rocker in, in Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at worst, somebody, you know, wild and crazy and, and pacing the floor and throwing pages around. Mm-hmm. Not that we don't do that. <laughs> but the notion that, you know, it's it's a human activity to write music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that is very well brought home when when people see that a composer is like a real person. Yes, yes, indeed. I have often been faced with audiences reluctant to be drawn into new music, and I wonder if you have some ways of helping an audience who's not used to listening creatively to do so? Well, I think if if there's any possibility to do something in advance of a performance Mm -hmm. where a piece is broken down in some way for them before it's put back together, Mm -hmm. I think that's very, very helpful, whether it be, you know, a pre-concert discussion Mm -hmm. or actual musical demonstration. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean... I think if you're a member of the music profession, it's hard to realize how fast any performance of any music goes by. Yes. The person who's just walked into the hall from a hard day at the office or what happened. Mm-hmm. We tend to savor something. In a way, it sort of sl- time slows down if you're a musician. Mm-hmm. And you savor the details. For many people, I think it passes very quickly. Before they get their bearing, they're at the end. Mm-hmm. So I, I think any kind of advance 
preparation is is very helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's good. I mean, we shouldn't forget, for instance, that the music that is most popular among, let's say, symphony audiences is music that's very familiar. Mm-hmm. It, by the way, is is often music that is just wonderful and deserves repetition mm-hmm. and rewards you listening over and over. But it, you certainly have to say it's very familiar. Mm-hmm. And even if you're doing a piece by, let's say, Mozart, because of the, the anniversary mm-hmm. that people don't know so well, they know a lot of other music by Mozart. Mm-hmm. So they bring something to that. It's not, it's not a brand new experience. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very well-fostered experience. And we all know that the more we the more we do as musicians, the better the ears get. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And I think that's true of the audience too. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that it's it's unfamiliar in a context of totally unfamiliar things. It's unfamiliar in a context of familiar things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you look at let's say the audience for pop music, for instance, tolerates very very little change from certain norms. Mm-hmm. I would say the the audience for symphonic music is is much more flexible than than other audiences. There's a wider range of experiences that that's right that they're and open to a variety of things mm-hmm. and different ways of making music. Mm-hmm. And I just think we have to help them to hear better, and then they'll make up their own minds. And they have their own hearts and 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 minds, and and it it'll either affect them and touch them, or it won't. Are we doing as much as we can as a society in terms of education? No, we're not doing we're not doing nearly enough. Mm-hmm. Seems like an obvious question, but certainly one that concerns us all. It concerns me very much. I see that, for instance, I don't know what your story is, but most of the people, let's say my colleagues around my age um, who are composers, most of us came out of a school music program mm-hmm. and pretty active and healthy school music programs. We were student conductors and whatnot, and mm-hmm. as well as playing, and we had a lot of sense of participation, you might say. Um, and and I think it's very clear that mu- music programs are declining. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yeah, funding is being cut for them. And I think that's a terrible shame. Mm-hmm. Am I am I safe in saying that? Ellen's Willich, composer today, might not have become a composer had it not been for a good program, a good music program that first got you involved? I think that's very possible. Mm-hmm. That should uh, put a red flag up to those people. Very who... possible, because I, although I was, you know, making my own music since I was very, very little, mm-hmm. for instance, when I got into the 10th grade, I was immediately through my, my school, my, my school teachers, and I would not characterize these people as great musicians by, mm-hmm. any, by any means. But through my school music, my high school music program, I was connected to the wider scope of things that were available in my town. I was uh, in, in Miami, for instance. I was immediately gotten to um, a very fine private teacher. Mm-hmm. I had lots and lots of opportunity writing and playing and, uh, as I say, conducting in my high school band and orchestra. Mm-hmm. I had a very, very, I mean, I had a, a group of colleagues and friends, mm-hmm. some of whom actually went on to become professional musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one who went on to become a composer, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know Lou Spratlin? No, I don't. He's, he teaches at, um, I think it's Amherst now. Mm-hmm. But he and I went to high school together. Mm-hmm. So that really had a profound influence on profound your direction. Profound influence. Mm-hmm. 
on on my my future possibilities. And here's a generation growing up now without even without that it. that that door even existing, let alone being opened. And I mean, I really just I I one would like to think. I mean, we we all like to think we create ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's it's wise to take that attitude that <laughs> you're the one that could do the most about it. But I think to be to be perfectly honest, there are a lot of people in my generation who, if it had not been for their school music programs, would have probably gone in some other direction. Very true. Let me ask you something else about that. And this is something that I find I have to defend constantly. And that is the reason for music's importance. I mean, people will contribute to a hospital or to the homeless because they see it's obviously important. But I find that I, as somebody who is asking for the same dollars that they're going to give to another organization, have to kind of explain why music is important to our society. And I wonder if you could possibly just give a statement or a general philosophy on why. I mean, it seems incredibly obvious to us, but it is not to some well, people. Well, no, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, like I have limited money to give to charity, and it's the dialysis machine is pretty, it seems pretty self-evidently uh, a necessity, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are two things about that. One is that, what another thing I wanted to say about my particular high school mm-hmm. music program is that as I go around the country for various performances, I have this kind of delightful experience of meeting people I went to high school with. Hmm. And as I said, I think there were a few professional musicians that grew out, came out of my high school program, but most people didn't. Mm-hmm. But I see them, and they're all around, and they, they maintain an interest in music. I would say the people that came through these programs learn a great deal of discipline, and they learn things that, that certainly help them later on in life. I mean, ah, that's, that's a good point, that studying music or learning about music is not only for the thing in itself, but it helps in, in other aspects of life as well. It certainly has enriched the lives of the people that I meet. Mm-hmm. And it happens to me all the time. I hmm. mean, it's just one of the big bonuses of, of my traveling here and there, is mm-hmm. to meet people like that. Um, what I was going to say, the the argument is, I mean, I think if if you could take all the money that you're going to give as a, in a charitable way and eliminate poverty and homelessness and, and AIDS and, you know, disease and famine, and mm-hmm. then I would say you must take everything you have and, and give it to that. Mm-hmm. But we have a terribly flawed world <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of what the possibilities are. And I think our our obligation is to uh, be as whole as we can as human beings and to pass that on as as far as we can. When you're very young, I think you think the world is going to change. Mm-hmm. I think the older you get, the more you realize it's going to change in small rather than large ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that to neglect the soul of, of, of mankind is... I mean, it's just damaging to us as human beings. And that's kind of what this uh, big gap in the education system is, neglecting the soul. Yes, I I think there's there's no doubt about it, that that, um, you don't want to educate people to perform tasks. You want to, you know, open their hearts and minds and make make the world available to them and to let them know of all the possibilities. Mm -hmm. And things like the arts that, that have this special way of, 
putting us in touch with our our human nature. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I mean, you think of the universality of things. I thought a lot about this. You you did my concerto grosso, right? And I remember thinking when I first decided to do that piece, I had been asked if I would write a theme, write a piece based on a theme of Handel, mm-hmm. and immediately this. A violin sonata popped into my head. I played it as a, you know, very young person, mm-hmm. and I thought, how amazing this is. You know, when you when you stop to think about it, that somebody else's intimate thought, 250 to 300 years ago, has stayed with me. Yes. For most of my lifetime. Yes. Mm. And how deeply it's touched me. And it seems to me that that we need to. There's there's a very great need for for human compassion and and, mm. and human understanding and all those things that that I think the arts touch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fact that that music is a, a special human language that that is is not respective of doesn't respect geographic borders or language or even time. I was going to say time. Yeah, there's something so important about this mm-hmm. that. I think, especially in a in a needy world, you you need mm. the you need the the soul of mankind. Very beautifully put. Speaking of that, what about the government? Is the government doing what it can in order to uh, help this to happen? Government participation or lack thereof? I think it's it's too it's too minimal. Mm-hmm. It's much too minimal. And there's there's so many things that that uh, spin off the arts. It just seems to me to it's hard to believe that that we don't we don't understand that this is such an important part of our our culture that it's worth a little more mm-hmm. um, than we give. Is there anything that we as an arts community can do to encourage greater participation? Well, I think some of the best things that that the um, endowment have done, for instance, are the the leveraging, you know, where you have a two for one campaign. Mm-hmm. I think that's really a great idea, mm-hmm. and I'm very much for that. I would like to see a little more, you know, tax legislation that, that allows passive support, mm-hmm. you know, passive government support of the arts. I would like to see the notion that it's something that's that's very important mm-hmm. to us as a people. I think that the education issue is, is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'd like to see us do a much better job on education in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very well put, really. I've got nothing to add on that score, that's, unless there are other thoughts that you have, but I think that really says it. Well, I think the bottom line might be that a, a composer-friendly environment might be the most listener-friendly environment, too. <laughs> mm, okay, that's thinking about the listener as a composer? Well, I mean, if, if you have a society that allows composers to function, Mm-hmm. function well and be a part of the community. You have a richer society for mm-hmm. it. And I think we could use a richer society. And I, I like to hear talk about how people are beginning to, there's been a little pendulum swing back towards thinking about values, what's more important as opposed to, you know, how you can make the most the quickest. And mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of a um, short-sighted uh, viewpoint. Yeah, because I think I think really it's it's shortchanging our humanity mm-hmm. not to not to see the importance of um, of the arts. 
We've just heard a conversation between composers Victoria Bond and Ellen Swillich, which took place on November 23, 1990.